So Don, why do you think that, why is conflict hard for some parents? Well, I think there's two sides to it. Um, there's our vision of what we want people to think about our children. We want people to, we want our children to be well liked. We want them to have friends. We want them to have relationships. We want them to behave in a way that's satisfying to us and to teachers. Um, and then the other side of it is we don't want our kids to be uncomfortable. So if people are being unkind to our children, um, we can take that so personally as parents and that's kind of our job is to protect our kids but kind of like it's our job to teach kids how to walk by holding their hands we need to teach kids how to learn to deal with conflict by sort of being there and helping them through that process as well Hello, this is Amy Rudowski, and I'm your host of the SYC School for Young Children podcast. Our philosophy is we believe in the social-emotional development of all children, and we believe that that happens within the context of free, uninterrupted playtime. This podcast is meant to serve as a parent education and as an outreach so we can reach more families. Now, our next episode. Welcome to the SYC Approach, Empowering Preschoolers Through Play and Compassion. I'm your host, Amy Radowski, and today I have with me Don Nauman, who has been a teacher at the School for Young Children for how many years? We think it's eight years. We think it's eight. <laughs> I'm not real sure, but I think it's eight. It seems like eight. It seems like eight. And before you became um, a teacher here, you did work um, through your school programming is that right? Yeah, right, exactly. So I came here as a student for a practicum where I was going to work with kids, and I then I didn't leave. Yeah, exactly. that's kind of like me, that my kids were here, and then I just kept staying and didn't leave. Right. So tell us just a little bit about your background um, in the field and a little bit about yourself before we get started today. Okay, well, this is a second career for me. Um, I had done a lot of kind of government work and administrative work and really loved being in the preschool environment when my kids were in preschool. And so when my son went to kindergarten, he's my youngest, I said, I think I'm going to go back to school because it felt like a good fit for me. So um, my son also had some um, behavioral challenges and some emotional challenges as a child. Um, and I really learned how important a good preschool was for him. And I wanted to be able to provide that for somebody. That's so great. So today, um, this episode, we are going to be talking about conflict. Um, we want to talk about what the importance of conflict is, how to kind of, you know, handle that, that conflict resolution at home, at school, how we handle it, um, talking about um, the challenges and kind of giving you some guidelines of, of how to help your children resolve conflicts with that. So um, one of the reasons why I wanted to have uh, Dawn on this podcast is we have the great advantage of having Dawn's perspective as she teaches in the youngest classroom in our school, as well as our oldest classroom right. at the school. Right. And so having this perspective of this this wide range of, of conflict that we might see in our program. So 
when we're thinking about conflict, let's let's just talk about what it looks like at these different ages and stages. So sure. what what's conflict going to look like in your youngest class that you have? So in the young twos class, um, the, like a lot of kids don't have a lot of words. Some kids do. Some kids do not. They have a lot of ability to hit and kick and bite and things like that. Conflict tends to... Um, come up around resources, certain toys they want to do, certain areas they want their body to be, certain things they want to own in the classroom or ideas they have about how they want to play with something. And uh, usually when there's a conflict in the twos, you kind of hear a tussle and that's how you know something's going on. Right. When you hear that, you're like, ah, better get over there. Make yeah. sure you're close. Yeah. And and part of that um, biting and hitting is, is, as you were saying, it's their method of communication. Sure. Right? Right. Um, and so then when we look at maybe moving on to the threes classroom, you know, we're still working on some of that parallel play, mm -hmm. working towards cooperative play in the classroom. So you might also be having a um, conflict over resources, but also a conflict over space. You know, I'm, I'm working here, I'm playing here, um, you're interfering, you might get into my play. Um, so there might be some conflict with that. Okay. And then we move into the fours where we start getting a little more sophisticated yes, there. Yes, that's a good word for it, sophisticated. Mm -hmm. So you definitely have to keep your eye out in the fours because conflict sometimes will look like a tussle or sound like something's going on. And it might be physical, but it also might be really quiet. Yes. It also might include somebody who looks like they're not doing so well in the class, maybe their facial expressions or something like that, or letting us know that something's wrong, and we kind of have to suss out that there was a conflict. They don't necessarily run right to the teacher at this age. In fact, a lot of times conflict is very illicit in the fours and fives. There's some rejection. There's some um, kind of ways that kids um, want to control others' behaviors and their space around them. Still can be about resources, but mostly it's a little bit about relationships. Yes, definitely those peer relationships um, um, interfering with some of that um, and causing that conflict. So we believe here, you know, that conflict um, is important because mm -hmm. conflict in life is inevitable. Right. It's, it's bound to happen. So my goal is, um, you know, when we give tours or we're, we're giving people information and, and sharing about our program, we talk about how we have this big chunk of time that's free, unstructured playtime. And within that time, you're going to get a lot of conflict. And, and we welcome that conflict because our goal, um, I believe, at this school with the focus of social emotional learning is that we want to help your children to learn how to navigate that conflict um, as it's going to be a part of their everyday life. So we want them to be able to handle what to do on the playground um, when there's not a teacher around when they move on to elementary school. We want them to be able to set a limit on another child and hear a limit um, as they, they move away from SYC where they're not going to have the guidance and somebody right there coaching them along. So Don, why do you think that, why is conflict hard for some parents? Well, I think there's two sides to it. Um, there's our vision of what we want people to think about our children. We want people to, we want our children to be well liked. We want them to have friends. We want them to have relationships. We want them to behave in a way that's satisfying to us and to teachers. Um, and then the other side of it is we don't want our kids to be uncomfortable. So if people are being unkind to our children, um, we can take that so personally as parents, and that's kind of our job is to protect our kids. But 
kind of like it's our job to teach kids how to walk by holding their hands, we need to teach kids how to learn to deal with conflict by sort of being there and helping them through that process as well. And, and certainly conflict is uncomfortable, right? It's Yeah. It's Yeah. Do you wake up in the morning and go to work and go, gee, I really hope I'll have a uncomfortable conversation today. That right. sounds like a great thing to have to do. Right. Or I really hope that something will make me want to cry. I mean, I'm an adult and sometimes I get frustrated and feel like crying. Well, if I had never experienced that before, I wouldn't know how to experience it now. Right. And, you know, even just hanging um, in the hallway here in our program, we have a quote by our former directors, who is Jan Waters and Stephanie Rottmeyer. And the quote says, um, in times of conflict, increase communication. Exactly. And the funny part I'm going to add about this quote is the reason why we have both of their names on there is because there's a conflict about <laughs> about whose idea it was. Um, they they both give the other one credit. Uh so I, I think that that's something that I use, though, also in my everyday life. And I think as a parent, you know, when, when I had my children here and I work with, with the young children on how to navigate and negotiate this conflict, there was a point when I looked at myself and I thought, so I'm expecting the kids to go through this and to to go through um, how to handle this. And I'm not always handling it. Right. It's really hard to handle yeah. conflict. And so I have to, you know, I've retrained myself with that. And I go back to look at that quote in the hallway that mm -hmm. says, in times of conflict, increase communication. And I have to tell you, I've uh, taken a picture of that. And I've texted it to many friends that I have who might get into conflicts their own. And I think they're tired of seeing it from me from now on. So. Right. But it is good advice. Although yeah. I will say in the twos, there's only so much communicating you can do. <laughs> Certainly. But it's definitely a good tip for grownups. For parents and children, really keeping that um, door of communication open. So let's go back to now thinking, you know, we've, you've given us a picture of what it looks like to have conflict in the two. So let's go through, you know, how then would you approach that in the classroom? Sure. And then let's talk about how we could maybe handle some of that conflict with that age in the home. Sure. Well, the first thing we do is, you know, in the twos, we have to keep bodies safe right away. Um, so we usually we have to be right on top so that if kids are pushing or hitting or kicking, we kind of get our body in between that so that that can sort of stop that behavior and we can sort of identify what kids are um, interested in. It's hard sometimes. You don't always know what someone's idea is, especially when they're not as verbal. Some kids are very verbal. Sometimes another two-year-old can tell me exactly what happened because they saw the whole thing. Right. Um, and they're more objective <laughs> than the kids that are involved in the conflict. But first, we have to kind of figure out what the idea is. So we might say, what is your idea? And sometimes it's simply about resources. Then we need to step in and say, well, I see that this child has it right now. This is their turn. And when they're done, you can have a turn. And that's really tricky. And then we might have to let them sit in that discomfort. Just sit in it. Certainly. And of course, you know, there are times when if you have more of those resources, sure. then you provide those resources. Right. Um, and then when you don't, you have to look at other alternatives. Sure. Um, and, it, and something in the classroom we might do, too, is, you know, if it's this coveted resource, we would make a list right. for that toy. Um, and children, I'm telling you from being in the twos, within the first week or so, the kids were getting in. They'd say, put me on the list. Right. Put me on the list for that. Sometimes, actually, I think they would test that out. Even if they didn't really want something, if they would hear there was a list, they wanted to. They their... just want to be on it. <laughs> they they want to see their name on that list. Right. They want to be part of that. Well, and the other thing about that is that you're teaching another skill, too, which is delayed gratification. So 
if you need everything and you need it now, you're certainly going to have a lot more conflicts. But if you can learn to delay gratification, then you can know, well, I may not get that now, but I'll get it later. And you're not having to cause such a tussle. Certainly. And waiting is also a skill. Right. Right. It is definitely a skill. So if we let's just kind of think of then moving on to uh, the three-year-old classroom or the, the three-year-old child. So if we ha- are having a conflict over space or territory, let's mm-hmm. say. So um, something that we might do in the classroom is I've I've gotten something and like maybe created a visual boundary. Sometimes kids need that visual yeah. area to know that their space is protected. Um, and we want to honor the child that needs their space protected. Um but there are certain, you know, boundaries and limits, of course, that we have to to use with that. Um, so, yeah, it just gives that visual reminder to the other kids without having to use so many words. Um, and then it also helps articulate what that child's needs are. So we might point out, oh, you know, I see that. Um, these cones are around uh, John and John is working on building the trains, you know, so if if you want a spot to work on the trains, we could maybe provide a spot for you over here with that. Um, Now, certainly at home, I know that if you have young kids and you are cooking dinner, you know, you may not always have the resources or the time to be able to to stop to handle the conflict. So I want to just point out that I think sometimes sibling conflict. um, Yeah, that's a whole nother animal. (laughs) That's a whole nother podcast on here. Um, But I'll just give a a quick little thing about sibling conflict. I think that my general um, tip on that is to generally let it go and kind of let siblings figure that out on their own as long as you know physical bodies or property are not being exactly yeah because kids they figure out really quickly that your attention is somewhere else and one of the first ways they can get it back to them is by creating a ruckus with each other so sometimes the conflict really isn't about the conflict it's more about the kind of attention-seeking behavior. Sure, so, mom's yeah. busy. Just like, you know, anytime you get on the phone, is that not when your kids always want to ask you exactly. 50 questions? Exactly, yeah. Mm-hmm. And patting me on the stomach. Right. Mom, 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 mom. mom. Right. mom. Yeah. Um, so then let's move on to our four-year-old. So where we, um, there's still also, you know, might be conflict over the space and the resources, but sure. it's also we're moving more into those peer relationships and conflict with ideas Right. where I want to do this play. Um, if you're going to play with me, you must do this kind of play. Um, so, so describe that again, like how you might handle that in, in your classroom. Well, sure. I mean, like in any environment that you're in, um, some kids have very strong ideas about things. Some kids are more flexible. Some kids um, can wait for things. Some kids can let things slide and some kids can never let things go. So you've got all these personalities involved and kids are really playing with their peers really playing with them for the first time. They may have been playing sort of next to them, a little bit collaboratively before they come here, but by the time they get to the fours and the five classes, it is about who my peers are. And so their whole goal when they get there is to connect with those peers. And when things start going wrong, it can become a huge conflict. So when we start looking at this, a lot of times we have to think about Who's the underdog in this situation? Who needs a voice more than another? Who tends to be always in charge? Who might need to be a little bit more flexible? Really getting to know kids, observing how they play together, that is our main um, way of knowing how to work with conflicts later. 
we also need to really remain objective because some four-year-old behavior is really hard to witness. You know, watching kids say, you can't come to my birthday party or I'll never be your friend again and watching other kids tell you they're never going to be my friend again. Those are really hard things to hear, but they're more... Um, a code to what's really going on. So if you can set aside your own personal feelings about that, then you can be much more objective and help with the conflict. And and certainly, you know, as adults, when we are are witnessing our children going through a rejection Mm -hmm. that might be a part of conflict, certainly we bring our own baggage to the table. Exactly. And we remember rejection, but we're not remembering it when we're four or five. One of the people I teach with, Lisa, always says, you remember the rejection you had like in sixth grade or eighth grade, Mm -hmm. not the rejection you had when you were four. Most people don't have that kind of memory. Um, So really what you're doing is you're putting... A personal experience that is not really relatable to the situation on it. So if you can just remain objective. I mean, I can remember my child telling me that someone told her that he didn't like her. And he didn't like her when she was in preschool. And I was like, that cannot be true because you are the most likable child I've ever met. And then I met him and she walked up to him and said, do you like me? And he said, no, I don't like you. And I don't like your mother. (laughs) And I was like, oh, I really needed to listen to her. This is what the kid was saying to her. You don't have to like everybody. And she really had it right. But I just couldn't fathom that that was true. I needed to like, really be objective. Somebody might say that to my kid, they might think that and it's really okay. And I think as parents and, and those moments, as like mm-hmm. you were describing, and when we witnessed kind of this conflict happening ourselves, maybe it's at the playground or maybe we witness it in um, in the classroom, is that we want to go in and fix it. Right. Right. We want to just go in there and be like, I don't want my child to be uncomfortable. I want to make this stop. This, you know, this is uncomfortable mm-hmm. for me right. as well. And it is uncomfortable for your children. But the thing that we need to think about with respectful conflict resolution is that if we don't master it now in early childhood, right, it's only going to be that much harder. And it's oh, we want it to become second nature to them as they become an adult. It's a tool in your toolbox. Totally. Being able to do that. Yeah. So, yeah, we have this conflict um, with with ideas. Um happening in our classroom and so again these are the times when we want to help them learn how to navigate negotiate um, we want them to be able to set a limit mm-hmm. um, we want them to be able to tell a kid stop I don't like that or I'm not going to play that game and we we want the other kids to be able to hear and and respect that limit now does is it going to happen like this every time no no <laughs> and might you have the same conflict every day like, yes. like resolving conflict doesn't mean, okay, we took care of that conflict. Now we never have to deal with that again. Right. Just like learning to walk and talk. It's practice, it's practice, practice, practice. Yep. It's just like monkey bars. You just got to keep doing it. That's right. Um, I think, I think it's also important to note that in our, you know, I teach in the four-year-old classroom this year that in the fours, it is, I would say it's developmentally every year this is going to happen that the sitting at the lunch table, who you are going to sit by is a big part of that classroom. Sure. They start talking about it long before it's time to have that seat. Yeah. Like as they see the transitions happening towards that end of the day period for us, that's the last thing we do. It's the last thing you do. Um, As they see that transition starting, they start talking to each other. I'm going to sit with you or I want to be on this side or you could sit next to me. And they're not even caught up in what we're actually doing in the classroom. They are just anticipating that. 
Right. And and I want to point out to parents a couple of things about that. Number one, that this, that we're social beings, right? Sure. As as humans that um but this is the stage of their development where those peer relationships are becoming you know, they're learning how to be in those peer relationships. They're, they're gelling to those relationships. And that is what's important to them. Right. It doesn't matter that um, mom had told them that morning, just find a seat, just be nice. You know, all those right. things that we think will be helpful for them, that's all out the window. And right. It, and even if we had it yesterday, it's just living in that moment of what you want at that time. And to be honest and to be frank, that I want that conflict to happen now mm-hmm. in, in my classroom. I want to give them as much practice on how to handle that because I know when they move to kindergarten, to first grade and beyond in their life, it's not going to work out the way they want it. And I want to give them that practice with in a loving environment. Right. Well, and they say that, um, you know, one of the things we hear, the buzzwords we hear a lot is grit. You know, can you get knocked down? and get yourself back up again. And that doesn't always mean these huge accomplishments or huge tasks that you're learning to master. It could just be, could I handle not getting who I wanted to sit with at lunch this day? Um, Now, in the classroom, if we see a kid constantly struggling with not having a peer to sit with, we might step in because we don't want a long-term feeling of that yucky feeling. And we might try to figure out why is it that kids are not wanting to sit with this child? Is there something they're doing? Was there something that was going on in the play? A lot of times kids might say halfway through the day, you know what, I'm not really enjoying playing with this kid. And their way to sort of let them know that is to say later, I won't sit with you at lunch. So we kind of have to think about what what is the thing that's making these kids have the same conflict over and over again. So we might make a note to the next day to really watch and see what's going on, see how they're connecting. And I think it's, like you said, it's asking more questions and listening to their answers. You know, just recently this came up in um, my class that there was a child that said that they didn't want to sit next to somebody. And I, and I asked more questions about it. And it turns out it was because they didn't want to see food in somebody's mouth. Sure. It wasn't about, I don't like that kid. It was like, they didn't like the way they eat. Right. (laughs) Um, and, And that's just, just a part of it. So we talked at the beginning, though, about some quiet conflict. Yeah. And um, I think when we think of that, that's also looking at that there's emotional conflict. Yeah, those are the yuckiest conflicts. They are. Um, and I, I was going to share an example um, that I have in my head, and then maybe you can kind mm-hmm. of elaborate on that. But um, an example that I have is, you know, there is a kid that is very well-liked, um, this was a couple of years ago, a kid that was very well liked, lots of kids, um, wanted to play with her. And so then it was though there, there was this a threesome to hear that we had these, um, three girls and, and the two really wanted to play with this coveted player. And, and I could see that there was this constant push and pulling of, no, I want to sit by this kid. No, I get to sit by this kid. And the internal conflict for for the kid that was this this popular kid that you could tell there was times when they wanted a break or they didn't want to be pulled and didn't, but also had that internal conflict of, but this is my friend. What if I say no? Um and so that that can be hard to witness too, but it's also giving that voice to the person to let them know it's okay to tell your friend, I need a break. Right. Well, a lot of the times 
the reason why kids like that are so desirable and so well-liked is because they're flexible and because they are unflappable and because they don't get caught up in that sort of stuff. And that is a very common thing. I see that in um, the four fives all the time because um, kids who are sort of open to other kids don't know how to set those limits. And they really need to learn that skill. Certainly. Um, is there anything else that you had to think, thinking of that? Well, I think that um, when you're dealing with those sort of conflicts that don't seem like conflicts, it doesn't seem like a huge problem that everybody wants to be around a kid. But when you start seeing those kids struggle, you really do need to step in and sort of give them a voice. You don't want anybody, just because a kid doesn't ever have conflict, that doesn't mean they're not feeling conflicted. I mean, they could be. You don't want your child to be a doormat. You don't want them to just let everything wash over them. Some kids, you have to say, it's okay to get mad about this. It's okay to get sad about this. It's okay to be frustrated that your friends are pulling on you. Ask them, how do you feel when your friends pull on you and and, and tug at you and, and want you to be with them all the time? Does that ever make you uncomfortable? And a lot of times, it's hard to suss that out. And that, that helps me think about, you know, kind of a process when looking at conflict as a parent or as a teacher, you know, first, our first step with children and when anything that we're doing with working on them is relationship building, sure. you know, and when you mentioned that, that, you know, you know, those kids, so you, you kind of know um, who needs to be more flexible, who might need some more coaching and whatnot. So I think our first step as parents and as teachers is, is relationship building, Um you know, it's much easier to handle feedback from somebody that loves and cares for you. Now, it's still hard. Well, when they're teenagers, it's not. Right. Okay, yeah, right. When they're Don and I can have another podcast <laughs> about raising teenagers later. Um, but then I think our next step is to observe, right? Is to be that observer. Yes. That's I, For me, being a teacher, the most important skill that I have is observation. And so that's an example where... We might let kids struggle with a conflict for a little bit longer to sort of see how things play out, especially in the beginning. And sometimes when parents are in the classroom, that is difficult. I feel a little bit like I'm in a fishbowl. I'm wondering how parents are feeling about me letting their kids struggle a little. But it's also very important for me to see how their skills are. I would never put up the big climber without really keeping an eye on a kid. Sure. And some kids need me to hold their hand to go up over the top the first couple times. But some kids just need to work at it. So observation is really important. We won't understand how kids are working with each other or not able to unless we can observe it. I'm really glad that you brought that part up because one thing that I make sure that I share with with parents, especially on tours, but also just in my classroom, is that I tell them, you know, almost everything that we're doing is intentional in the classroom. You may wonder why I might be letting a kid struggle over something. You might wonder if I'm noticing that there's somebody crying over there. Mm -hmm. And so I encourage parents, if you have those questions and wonders, ask me. I will share with you what's going on, but almost everything that we're doing there is intentional. Um, and it's because of those relationships that right. we've built with the children um, in, in uh, doing those observations. So then I think our next step then is checking in. It's exactly. checking in with a kid, um, asking more questions. Does that feel good to you? Is that what you wanted to happen? Just right. questions like that that are try to not loaded question. 
you know, exactly. like just sort of um, the most objective question you can ask. And I think this is going to be um, a specifically important one to use on those kind of quiet struggles, the ones where they're where you are observing that there might be a struggle, but maybe they're not articulating that to you. So that's where that checking in is going to be, I think, you know, vital to that um, relationship as well. So, you know, first thing, your relationship building, then you're going to your observational skills, and then you're, you're checking in with kids right? in general. So an important part of conflict, though, is for children to learn how to interpret others' emotions. That's a big one. Right? Yeah. And so that's why it's so important at very young age for us to always be talking labeling feelings, modeling feelings. You know, we don't certainly as parents, sometimes I think we're afraid to show kids our emotions because we need to show that we've got everything together. Here's my smile on my face. And guess what? We're real people. We don't always have it together. Exactly. And you know, one thing I think that gets a little bit tricky with all that is that when we think of play as an adult, we think that play is always fun. But play as children is not always fun. So there's a wide variety of emotions that kids might experience when they're playing. They might be frustrated. They might be angry. They might be sad. They might be joyous. They might be all of those things. So we've got to have other kids be able to identify that when we see a kid with a look on their face, you can tell they're not enjoying something or that they um, seem a little off with the play. We might say to their peer, when I see a face like that, it kind of usually means they're not having fun. Let's see if they're having fun and try to get kids to, to see that behavior through modeling. We know that kids really don't have a lot of empathy until they're a little bit older. Some kids are naturally empathetic. That's more of a personality trait. But really, empathy comes a little bit more towards middle childhood. Certainly, but definitely the labeling and modeling it um, and so that they can learn how to recognize that. But that's this being able to interpret their own emotions. Right. Number one, to interpret and articulate um, our skills that we want to be working on with them at home, at school, Mm -hmm. um, all the time. So you're modeling those those feelings. Um, and then we need to remember in the classroom and at home that setting boundaries and limits are really important. Very important. Right? Right. Um, so we need to let kids know what the expectations are. Right. Right. Um, and then giving them information um, and guidance when something is not okay or what's not acceptable. Sure. And sometimes you have to dial back and say, whoa, whoa, whoa. I did not expect this to happen when I put out these materials, but this is what I need from you guys right now. So that, you know, if somebody's using something in a way that is dangerous or could be harmful or is just creating so much conflict that it's not even working in the classroom, I might stop and say, let's let's regroup here. Certainly. So, you know, if, if a conflict happens, I'm just thinking, you know, of, of hitting or something such as that, you know, it's giving that, you know, it's not okay to hit. Right. I won't let you hit. And I wouldn't let anybody hit you either. I always mm-hmm. try to make sure when I'm putting a limit, um, the sort of a limit on behavior that I'm saying, hey, I wouldn't let anybody hit you and I'm not going to let them hit you hit them. Certainly. Um, also, we talked about modeling our feelings, but also just modeling behavior in general, right? We right. <laughs> Which is kind of, I think sometimes when teachers do that with each other, the parents kind of look at them like there's something wrong with them. When we're we, doing we, our teacher talk? When we're talking yeah. to each other. Like, I remember one time I was leading a, a big group, and we had been dealing with a lot of kids that were kind of 
unintentionally hurting each other, but then sort of moving on, like, it was an accident, I'm sorry, kind of moving on. And we were sort of wanting the group as a whole to think about being a little bit more compassionate with their peers and checking on them when they're hurt and things like that. So I was starting to have this puppet show and one of my co-teachers walked into the room and stepped so hard on my foot that I really shrieked. And she turned around and looked at me and I thought she'd lost her mind. But then I realized she was modeling accidentally hurting me. Mm -hmm. And I was able to say, oh, that really hurt. I, I didn't want you to do that. That hurt my foot. And she kind of doubled back and said, oh, let me, are you okay? Should I get you an ice pack? Just kind of modeling that behavior it was totally on the spur of the moment. And I'm glad I figured out what was going on right. before we had a true conflict in the classroom. Right, you were, you were thrown into the uh, acting mode right there, right? Right, but that's just a good way to show kids that sometimes you do things and, and you need to work it out. And I think that that modeling um, those conversations, those teacher talk kind of things are super mm -hmm. helpful that you can even do it at home. I remember... Um, at the dinner table one time when I knew my um, children who were in elementary school at the time, there was a conflict at lunch. And so, you know, I just sat down at dinner and I said to my husband, I was like, you know what? I really wanted to sit by um, Susan at lunch today. And she sat by somebody else and I, w I felt really hurt and I was really upset about that. Um, luckily, you know, my husband's caught on pretty early on to this <laughs> SYC language and he was able to pick up on that. But it was a way that I can kind of um, model that conversation without directly, you know, saying it to my child. Sure, because she probably or he or she had feelings about that. Mm -hmm. And so if they have feelings about something, you don't want to kind of open that wound, but you want to let them know that you empathize and you've been through it before. You get it. Certainly. Um, and then we always, you know, are encouraging and giving children the language and the vocabulary about how to handle some of these conflicts. Right. And that changes over time. So at the very beginning, it might just put a hand up and stop. You just say stop. Um, in the threes, we have stop maybe with a little bit more language or um, a little bit more articulation. And then in the fours, we really want kids to say, I don't like it when you not just stop. Because stop becomes white noise when the kids are a little bit more sophisticated. It just is like, I don't know, it almost adds fuel to the fire. But we really want them to say what we want them to exactly. stop. Exactly. And, and I think in the fours, you know, you have a varying degrees of where children are kind of developmentally on their conflict mm -hmm. skills. Um, sometimes they'll come in with only able to, to say stop. And, and then you need to give them the information. Well, well stop what? Right. You know, ask that, a lot of questions. Yeah. Um, you need to give that information to the other kid. Oh, tell him to stop um, taking your blocks or tell him X, Y, Z. Sure. But but adding and giving more um, information because that's also then giving them the practice um, and the skills to build on that. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, we tend to think of if kids articulate exactly what their needs are, that we'll be able to meet them. And that's not always true. They may say, I want this to happen. And it may not be something that you can accommodate. And then you might have to just sit with that, oop, that conflict didn't go well. There's not a, you know, pretty happy tied up with a bow ending to every conflict. You Sometimes it has to be, wow, you really wished it could have been that way, but it wasn't. It, perfect. That's right where I was going to go next is that you, um, it's also then helping the children who have gone through that conflict be able to um, handle it 
so yes, giving the children um, the words to be able to then cope sort of with their feelings and to be able to manage their disappointment and their discomfort within that conflict. Because mm-hmm. we don't want to take that conflict away so that they avoid, the, avoid those uncomfortable feelings. Right. But as a parent, that's so hard to do. I can see how it's much easier for me as a teacher to let a kid be disappointed because I'm kind of looking at the big picture. But we're sort of, you know, we parent in a way that we want to meet our kids' needs. We want to make sure that they feel good about themselves, that they feel good with their peers, that they feel comfortable in their surroundings. But the truth is you, you're you never going to be 100% comfortable all the time. I'm uncomfortable sometimes. There are times that I do things that I don't feel comfortable in. And I'm an extreme extrovert. So imagine that, you know, sometimes I still don't feel comfortable. But we have to kind of remove the emotions from that and know that the big picture is that they're learning some skills, they're learning how to cope with things in healthy ways. And they're knowing that, you know, as children and adults, we experience a wide variety of feelings on a daily basis. And it's okay to have all those feelings. Definitely. So I want to talk about, you know, that generally we want our, our goal, right, in, with conflict resolution is that children will learn how to handle this conflict on their own with, without our guidance and, and stepping in. So, you know, our, I think our goal towards when we get then to the four-year-old classroom is to do some more of that stepping back, some more observing, watching um, closely and kind of letting them then maybe if, if we feel the need, we might step in and give feedback Mm-hmm. Um, or maybe um, a little bit of information or guidance, but without solving the problem. Sure. And also, when you get into those older age groups, um, large group times are really wonderful ways to help kids kind of beef up those skills a little bit. Um, you know, we might have a puppet show. We might talk about a scenario. We might describe something that happened to us and how we got through it through a storytelling or something like that. And it's a good way to sort of... Um, lay the groundwork for some ideas for kids to come up with on our own. And sometimes they get it right away and they're like, oh, that was just like what happened to me today on the playground. Right. Or, or that's what that so-and-so did yesterday. Um, so they're not always oblivious to our plan, but it does help to sort of open that conversation without pointing fingers, putting kids on the spot, making them feel like they've done something wrong or that they're in trouble. And I think at home, like, you know, if you don't you don't have that opportunity necessarily for the large group, but you can sort of take that skill into home with maybe it's, you know, playing with figurines and you are are acting something out um, to kind of create a storyline that you can work out with the kids to then spark maybe some conversation. Um, also, kids love to hear stories. They do. And telling them a story about when you had conflict and sharing about maybe when you were rejected as a child and how, you know, you went through that process and how you overcame that. And now, you know, you're, you're out on the other side. Um, right. I'm thinking specifically maybe of a rejection on there, but, you know, giving them, you know, that happened to me one time. Sure. Um, yeah, I didn't get what I wanted or. Um, I saw something that I really liked. It was a toy that I really liked, but somebody else had it. Just simple things like that, that let them know that they're not alone in how they're feeling. And that, I mean, empathy goes a really long way. And being able to even commiserate with kids sometimes. Oh, that's terrible. I'm so sorry that happened to you. Yeah, Yeah. they they need to feel heard. 
yeah. is the important part. Yeah, and they, but not to the point of perseverating. I mean, we do sometimes need to say, you know, I know that happened a few days ago. Right. And I know that that's not happening right now. So... So there's times where we want to step back and and let them kind of handle that. What would you say are your non-negotiables where where Um, you're stepping in there on that conflict? Physical, um, physical abuse, obviously, if kids are going to get physical with each other, I'm going to kind of have my senses attuned to those kids that maybe struggle more with that. Um, Also, just kind of teasing or um, manipulating other children. Um, so if behavior is to get what someone wants, but also to sort of harm other people, their feelings or their bodies, those are non-negotiables for me. So let's get, let's describe an example of what that looks like in the classroom. So what, what I'm thinking is, you know, I brought a very special toy. Oh, please. I'm, I've got very special toys. <laughs> I, bought, I bought, right. I bought, which this is happening. This is All part the of the conflict, right? So I brought my very special toy and I'm going to have it and I'm going to show it to you and I want you to look at it, but no. You can't touch it, and or I won't let a certain kid, maybe, or certain kids play with it or touch it. But I'll let you know I'm I'm having power. Right. It's like over. um, it's currency. It becomes definitely. Like, yeah, it's a payment. Right. It's your it's your play currency there, um, and so I think that's a time where we would definitely kind of step in more so than letting them kind of handle that one on their on their own because they haven't had the practice with those s- more sophisticated conflict skills. I would sure. say. Um, and I think the other kind of um, non-negotiable skill that you were saying there with the teasing is, you know, generally our guidelines are, you know, you can't hurt yourself, you can't hurt somebody else, um, and you can't hurt the property. Um, and so when we talk about hurting somebody else, you know, I'll include in their words. Sure. You know? And and I, I feel like, you know, we br- we were brought up with sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Well, that is just not true. It's not true. It's not true. Sometimes it's much easier to be knocked down than for someone to say something ugly to you. And so I just need to let kids know that's not okay because that's hurting. Definitely. So let's see. What else can we talk here then um, in general just here about this? I have a few notes here. I just want to make sure that we kind of ch- – oh, so this is what I want to talk about now. So let's let's do a little dis- description of what maybe um, how we might handle a conflict between either a group of children or um, two children maybe um, – in the four. So like, what would we, if it's more than one child, there having a conflict, what are some, what's some of the language that we might use, um, to talk to the group then right there? Yeah. A lot of times I just want to know what everybody's idea is. So you'll hear me say this a lot. Hey, what's your idea? And then to the next person, what was your idea? And the next person, what was your idea? So it might take a while to know. And sometimes I'll even write it down. Mm -hmm. Um, that's kind of the first step. I want everyone to tell me what they want. And then sometimes I'll say, do you think your idea could work at the same time as their idea? And that's a tricky thing because most kids will say no. No. (laughs) (laughs) It has to be my way or the highway. And then maybe the next language would be, um, what could we do to make these things um, be able to be happening at the same time? And sometimes that's a really tricky place to go. Um, sometimes we have to let kids say, nope, 
And then we need to do those little quadranting off and putting year over here, year over here. And then we kind of watch them sort of work their way back together because the goal really is for that collaboration. They just don't really know how to do it. Right. And it just takes a practice. And I love that we're, that it's that you're not jumping in, mm-hmm. you're not jumping in to, to solve it. Um, Unless, you know, again, it's one of these non-negotiables and we jump in and, mm-hmm. and we have to lay those those limits and boundaries. Um, but you're not you're not jumping in. You're allowing them to you're just probing them with maybe some questions to think about it. Right. And you're not assuming that you know what's going on. See, I think as adults, a lot of times we're like, oh, I've seen this before. This is exactly what happened. This is what happened last time or this is whatever. I want the kids to tell me what's going on. Even in the twos, we'll often say, what's happening? What's going on here? Um, I learned that from Angela. She just kind of will be like, what's happening? We really want to know. We're not making assumptions. We are not these, you know, people that are omniscient and know everything that's going on with you. We want you to learn to articulate that. Because it's also sometimes their interpretation of that that's the conflict. Right. And sometimes they are wrong. I mean, sometimes their impression of what's going on, because they aren't objective They get an idea in their head of something that they think. And when we get other kids to speak and collaborate with them, they can learn that what their idea was, that maybe a child was wanting to take something or maybe a child was wanting to ruin their play, really was wrong. They were being super protective or a little bit anxious about it. And they really needed to hear what somebody else was thinking. Certainly. So I'm thinking about just kind of these skills, these conflict resolution skills, and and. You know, I mentioned that, you know, I don't wasn't always holding myself to the same standard as that I was kind of making having these expectations for the, the children I teach and um, with that. And so over my time here being at SYC, I've really, you know, challenged myself. And I think looking at that quote every day has helped me mm-hmm. with that. Um, and so I've taken that out into other parts of my life, um, you know, at home with my marriage, um, also conflicts, as I mentioned earlier, with friends. But even this week, I was happy that I handled a conflict um, with an adult and it worked out beautifully. And now will it always? Not necessarily. No. But there, this was a conflict that I had with, you know, I, I have another job that um, is a part time job where I am a coach. And I had an athlete that was there and I interpreted um, some of the behavior to to feeling that, um, you know, it was we were doing a class warm up and this athlete was uh, off to the side, kind of doing their own thing. And I thought, you know, I asked, "Are you doing the class?" And he said, "Yes." And I said, "Okay," and was kind of confused why they were mm-hmm. doing their own kind of warm up. And and he joined in and he he did the class. And when class was over. I approached him and I said, you know, first of all, I wanted to just kind of check in. Is everything okay? Mm -hmm. You know, maybe there was something else going on I didn't wasn't aware of. And he said, yes. And I said, well, I'm not really sure how to have this conversation other than to tell you how I feel. And I said, I feel when you're here doing your own thing that what I have to say isn't important. And his response right away was, oh, my gosh. So we both had interpreted this totally sure, different, yeah. right? He interpreted as, oh, I just needed to do more warm up because it's 5 a.m. and my body needs a little bit more. And and I had interpreted that he was too good to perform this warm up that I was right. doing. And so we talked and he said, oh, my you know, goodness, I didn't mean to. I don't want you to feel disrespected. That wasn't my goal. And and so I said, hey, OK, I, I hear that, you know, you needed something different. Next time, just let me know that. 
And so I know. Right. So you told him what you needed. He told you what he needed. And right afterwards, I said, this was great communication. And he was like, yes, it was. How would we know if we didn't talk about it? If you hadn't talked about it. Exactly. And I could have been disgruntled every time this athlete came in and thought, oh, you know, they're just too good. that guy again. Yeah. The one that doesn't like me or doesn't think I'm worth, you know, listening to. So it's it's also, you know, these are skills that we can use as adults to to help us with these conflicts. So, mm-hmm. um, Dawn, I just want to thank you so much for, for oh, joining on here today. Love talking about difficult things. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> yes, yeah, stay tuned for our later episodes where we'll talk about uncomfortable topics like sex and death with your children. That's the good stuff. That's the good stuff. So, yes, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today. And, you know, again, let's just end here with our with the quote that we've got hanging in our hallway here that in times of conflict increase communications yep thank you to jan waters and stephanie rottmeyer for having the conflict so that we can hang that (laughs) in our hallway so thank you and we'll see you next time on the syc approach bye bye thank you for joining us This is Amy Rudowski, and I'm your host of the SYC School for Young Children podcast. I'm the co-director of the School of Young Children. We are located in Clintonville at 93 West Weisheimer Road. For information about how to contact us, you can check our website at www.sycolumbus.org.